0: And welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, in ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Salutations. What? <laughs> and Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing season one, episode 15, which is titled Feb 595, which aired on February 2nd, 1995. Why wasn't it aired on three days later? Come on, make an (laughs) exception this time around. Or just date it 2-2. Or something like that. Either way, you fucked up, people, whoever handles this stuff. Uh, Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago?
1: Well, in some bad news, ER lost out to the X-Files at the 1995 Golden Globes for Best TV Drama Series. I will say, X-Files, pretty good. Not gonna feel too upset about this. Cause... I was gonna
2: say, yeah, this is golden years for X Files. So yeah, they're, they're they're a worthy opponent.
1: And at the twenty second annual American Music Awards, Boys to Men take home three awards: best pop rock song, best soul R and B song for "I'll Make Love to You," and favorite soul R and B band group duo.
0: I feel like that's cheating to get both best pop slash rock and soul slash R and B song for the same song.
1: Yeah, but we've seen that they can apparently do no wrong in the eyes of the american public. So,
0: <laughs> or can they?
1: We'll get there.
0: Uh, but other, in other news for your sports fans. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks beat the Edmonton Oilers 5 to 1 in their first home game in the newly built United Center. Do I... That's Re-
1: from That was that was built in 95?
0: Yep. I was oh, going to say I thought that was way older. Nope. Uh, they played in the uh they played in the Chicago Stadium through I think the 93? Season maybe ninety, maybe part of ninety four, and also in Super Bowl twenty nine, the San Francisco Forty Nine ers beat the San Diego Chargers forty nine to twenty six. Steve Young, the quarterback for the San Francisco Forty Nine ers, was named MVP of the game.
1: We have a new number one song. Ba, it's in the ba, boys ba, to ba, ba. You love to see it. You love to see it.
2: Our long it national creak. nightmare is over.
1: For now, who knows what will happen next week? But this week. Creep, by TLC, takes the number one spot on the credit, on the charts. So yeah, Lady Power. We're conquering We're Woo. conquering these boys to men and making them little boys again. We're <laughs> taking it back.
0: Could you perhaps say that boys to men are scrubs?
1: They might be. They might be. Also, I'm going to make you listen to this song because it's iconic and so good. But yeah,
0: never knowingly heard this song, by the way. I had no idea what it was when I was looking this up for the notes.
1: I tried poorly singing it to Lizzie and they did not recognize it which means either my singing is terrible or they really have not heard it it's a 50 50 split and then legends of the fall is the number one movie i think i I think i've seen this once yeah maybe
2: i I don't think i've seen it i've heard of it
1: yeah so we got we got some good stuff going on in entertainment my reign of terror is over for now
2: or no boys to men's reign
0: of terror is over my, uh, my Reign is going. You're on yes, there my, you
1: go. My nightmare is over. I can rest easy for at least a week now.
0: This is only episode 15 of your episode of your 331 episode Reign of Terror on <laughs> the kno- show. Who
1: knows what other songs will haunt my nightmares? But for now, <laughs> Boys to Men is out of the running, and I will be forever grateful.
0: Hooray. Uh, this episode was directed by James Heyman. Uh, it was his second of three episodes, talked about him on a previous one. I totally am blanking on which one, but uh, and, and was written by John
2: Wells. Creator of the show, or not creator of the show, but like showrunner, right? Yeah, showrunner, yeah. Yeah. All right, and for viewers this week, we've, uh, we're have we holding strong at 34 million, exact same number as last episode. Still not the high point, though. We That's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, some mild trivia for this episode, or, or not even really trivia, but just something I thought was interesting um, while I was going through cast notes. Um, Mr. Gaither from episode 13, he was, uh, I think the child's name was Ben... Um, But the the boy who had been hit by a car and was brain dead, essentially. Or not not brain dead, but um, very compromised. It it was the uh, caregiver fatigue episode. Um, Mm. Yeah. He's listed in the credits for this episode, but does not appear, at least not to my knowledge. Um, So I'm thinking that might have been maybe a deleted scene or something, which I'm curious about because I don't know why. I don't know what there was to follow up on with that. I feel like we kind of told that story and we were done with it. So... Maybe,
0: I'm, like, some sort of, like, flashback? I don't know. Because yeah, that,
2: that was Doug that dealt with him, right? Yes. Uh, no, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Doug. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how they would have fit him into this, but I just thought it was interesting that he's in the credits, but he doesn't actually appear in the episode. So, uh, But regardless, we open this week's episode with uh, Green and Carter riding the back of an ambulance, uh, doing some good physical comedy there. Um, Green is fully just, like... I, I relate so much to green in this sequence where he's just like the old pro at this by now. And it's just, nothing is new or exciting or like phasing him. So he's able to eat his breakfast in the back of an ambulance while they're on their way to a trauma. Uh, and Carter is just completely overwhelmed and getting tossed all over the, the back of the ambulance. He asks green. How can you eat right now? And green just says, matter of factly, I'm hungry. Um, and quick note on the location that they're going to they're going out to near
0: uh what was then was a small airport known as meg's field at northerly island which is just sort of like uh if anyone's ever been to chicago knows where the museum campus is which is like just south of the loop it's east of there it's like a little like uh stretch of land on one part you have um you go you go just past the shed aquarium and then you have the adler planetarium which is my favorite museum in the city i've still never been we need to fix that. Please. Um, and then basically just hang it right at the planetarium. And that used to be an airport there. Um, but now it's a, a mediocre concert venue at best. So
1: I saw Marilyn Manson and Smashing Pumpkins there.
0: I saw Rush there. We're cool. Yeah. And I also <laughs> saw Angels and Airwaves, Taking Back Sunday, the Subways, and Head Automatica in one concert there, which was awesome.
1: I think I know one of those bands.
0: Congratulations.
1: Uh, (laughs) see this is why we keep this is why we have lizzie on the podcast because they know all the chicago landmarks and everything that i'm totally gonna miss or not have history on
0: the point i'm trying to get at here is that it makes sense that a little tiny pond jumper plane would hit a fucking car out there yeah it makes total it makes sense that that's where that would happen
1: yeah so when they say a plane crashed into a car it's not a 747 it's a little puddle jumper
0: yeah exactly barely even one of those
1: so they're in the car working on working on this poor, poor woman. Carter's leaning over, helping um pump the what do they call that?
0: A bag that fuel. No, Aviation fuel? No, no, no.
1: The bag that oh. they use to pump air.
0: Just bag. When like, they do
1: like intubation ba- bags. Th- yeah,
0: they say, they yeah. just say bagger. Bagger. Yeah, they just say
1: bagger. Well, he's he's helping pump air into her lungs, and we look and he looks over and there's this mysterious fluid dripping from a tube from the airplane, and it's jet fuel. It's aviation fuel leaking from the plane right next to his face. And in later seasons, this will mean that the car is going to explode. <laughs> in this in this moment, it's just a fire hazard. Oh no! Just kidding, everything's fine. It doesn't mean anything, it just makes him nervous for a second.
2: And ruins his coat.
1: And ruins his coat. But whatever, Carter's rich, he can afford more.
2: <laughs> Which is camel fur. I think his wife says. Ew,
1: I yeah, missed
0: that.
2: He does. Yeah, and the and the, guy, like, the <laughs> other EMT guys like, mm, looks nice. He's like, it was.
0: Yeah, like oh oh dear, I don't think that'll come out. A little bit of your a uh, little bit of your rich boyness uh, showing there, Carter. Um, yeah, but so they est- extract the patient and they're bringing is it, I forget him her her her, um, bringing the bring the lady over to a helicopter. Um, and Mark, you know, kind of going back to what he was doing in the ambulance, he's just double fisting, he just has the, his breakfast sandwich in one hand and a, am assuming a cup of coffee or something in and, and the other one, and <laughs> just, like, chatting away with Carter, and just being like, oh yeah, cool, I get to eat more, awesome.
1: But then Mark, after stuffing his face, goes on to ask Carter, you know, like, hey, what are you thinking for a specialty, you know, I'm just... You've been around for a little bit. You know, what are your thoughts? And Carter says, oh, you know, I really, really like this. This has been really interesting. My family was really wants me to go into cardiology. So it's clear that, like, Carter's in love with the ER. We've seen the seeds. We now hear him actually say, like, he's enjoying his time here. But there is some family pressure that we're starting to learn about.
0: Well, I think at this point still, he's still, like... His heart is probably saying ER, but his head is like, no, I want to commit to surgery. It's more challenging. It's, you know, i want I've got to prove more prestigious. myself. Exactly.
1: Um, But then we go over to the helicopter, and they both practice good helicopter safety. Lizzie, you can extrapolate more on this in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and the helicopter is full once Mark hops in with the two flight paramedics and, and the patient. So Carter is asked to ride back with in the ambulance and grab their stuff while green just goes and gets a pleasure cruise back on the helicopter
0: carter here does a very good job of observing proper safety protocol when you're near a helicopter which is basically always keep your eye on the helicopter like don't turn your back to it when you're near it (laughs) like
1: back up duck
0: because yeah and keep your eyes on the blades just to make sure you're not anywhere near them
1: This is a lesson for later children. (laughs) Proper helicopter safety does come into play. We'll, we'll make notes on who's been listening
0: multiple times. Um, yeah, but they're on the helicopter, Mark and the different, uh, helicopter paramedics. Um, you know, he's basically Mark's Mark's just all excited. He's just living. He's just loving life. He's loving being up in the helicopter. He just says hell of a life. And the, he's in a helicopter and he's not wearing a headset so the guys are just like wait what and like and he's just said a hell of a life and then the the helicopter guys are still like very weird like they have no idea what's going on and he says i want to have sex with your wife <laughs> i want to have sex with your wife and then they just get the one guy just gives him a really big thumbs up
1: <laughs> like that bullshit pretending like i'm listening to what you're saying thing and i feel like The helicopter paramedics, we would hear Benton call them something like copper jockeys.
0: Or something (laughs) like that.
1: And with that note, we come in with a bang. (laughs) Just like this dude's wife. (laughs) I'm on fire tonight, guys. You are just... And after the um, 13th successive bang 14th successive, no, 13th successive bang of this show, we switch over to Deb and Carter discussing about how crabby Benton is and how unrealistic his expectations are. Um, cause they've got some presentations coming up and just Deb's stressed and like, Oh, he's so grumpy and he wants everything. And how can we do be doing X if he needs us to do Y? And, um, Carter just kind of, or no, I'm sorry. They walk past Benton as she's complaining and he goes, well, if it's too much for you, try dermatology. And Deb's just like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then Benton's like, alright, we gotta put a Foley cath on this guy. And leaves Deb and Carter to do it. And Carter's like, you've ever done this before? No. Carter goes, you're in for a treat. And then he starts to explain how. And Benton goes, I'm sorry, does it take two students to put a catheter in? And pulls Carter away. So Halle walks, um, walks Deb through how, how to proceed with the catheter. And is very patient and very specific in her instructions. Which, go Hale. good mama nurse.
2: And then we jump over. We get our first uh, first big patient of the episode, I would say. Um, guy comes in with uh, chest pains, possible heart attack. Uh, they said he's a handball player, so I guess he uh, collapsed at a gym, maybe. Um, guy's uh, – I forget his character name. It was nothing, nothing too memorable. He's not a – He's not a super important patient for this episode, but uh, he's played by a guy with an absolutely... Keep in the tradition of having these little side characters with actors with A-tier names. This guy's name is Wortham Krimmer. Like, that is the most, like, just random name generator name I could imagine. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, but his, his big stuff on his filmography was... Uh, Extended roles on both Babylon Five and the uh ABC uh soap opera One Life to Live. He was on that for quite a few seasons, it looked like Yeah. Um a favorite of my mother. Well there you go. See if she knows who Wortham Krimer is. Uh but he comes in, uh they think they they determine that it's probably well, I say they. Mark and Susan are kind of at odds here, which is a theme that's gonna continue throughout most of the episode. Um they're Still, sort of dealing with the personal fallout of the whole uh, case and uh, review, and Mark, you know, not 100% supporting Susan, and just that whole situation is still kind of we're still dealing with the fallout of that. Um, so, Susan has one opinion, Mark has another. It turns out Mark is right in this particular situation, um, and he's got a lung, um, uh, a pulmonary embolus, so he's got a blood clot in his lung. So, uh, they're going to be working on removing that as we go along here.
0: Then after that, we get a little strange one of two scenes with Carol and a gentleman by the name of Mr. Connolly, who's just being weird. He's comes in and there's, he's taken the, um, the padding off his bed and he's just laying under a sheet and claims he's been dead, dead for two days and he's suffering from headaches and Carol is just like, what the fuck is
2: going on here?
1: And She just laughs and leaves him alone.
2: Did we happen to Pretty catch much. who this is?
1: Yes. And so I recognized the voice, but I wasn't sure. And so I just looked it up on IMDb to confirm. Yep, yeah.
2: It's it's Bobcat Goldthwait, who, like, like you said, has a very distinctive voice. Like, as soon as I heard it, even though you never see his face, as soon as I heard it, I was like, is that Bobcat Goldthwait? Sure enough, it is. And yeah, this is a really strange, like... But, I mean, it fits in perfectly with his personality. Like, this is a very Bobcat Goldthwait type of role. Like, he's very offbeat. He's very rarely seen. I mean, the only thing we see is his feet, and I don't even know that those are his feet. Like, he probably just came in and did voiceover work. Uh, And, yeah, like, it's this nothing patient that we never do anything with. We never follow up on anything with. There's just two quick scenes with him and Carol, and that's it. And he's kind of the biggest star in this episode, so it's pretty pretty interesting
1: let's go and check over on our pulmonary embolism handball player uh, uh deb says like oh do you do you really need me to come and come and do this because it's a it's a pulmonary and they're about to do an extraction and you know it'd be really cool to see that and ben's like nah go ahead go watch and then carter's like hey And Benton's like, you want to go too? Hers like, yes, please. (laughs) And then runs off. So the students both go and observe Mark doing this because it's very rare to see this extraction done in the ER proper. So they run off. And then Benton, in his shitty, shitty, shithead asshole mood, takes it out on Halei. Don't ever take shit out on Halei. This is the first time we learn this, and I think it's one of few times, but don't mess with Halle.
2: <laughs> just don't like Be- don't don't mess with the nurses if you're a doctor like just just don't I mean Carol articulates that much better later in the episode but like it's just a good lesson to learn yeah
1: so basically he's like
2: she's like anticipating what he wants and so like she's yep. she's order like not officially ordering things but like she's writing things down and he just signs off on them which a lot of doctors like, but I guess Benton being kind of a, a little bit of an egotist, like, he wants to give the actual orders and stuff, so, like, he doesn't like that she's doing that, and so he basically, like, puts her in her place where he's, you know, I'm the doctor, you're the nurse, I write the orders, you carry them out, like, and she's, she takes that very literally for the rest of the episode, and I am 100% here for it.
0: There's so much malicious compliance going on here with, with this episode, and I'm so here for it.
2: I like that
1: term. I mean it's malicious <laughs> it's compliance. Pretty
2: much what it is. There's a beautiful subreddit devoted to it. Thank you. But while this is all happening while Benton is kind of reading Hale's the Riot Act, in the background, um, which again, like these are the t- with this guy and Bobcat Goldthwait, these are arguably the two most recognizable non-main cast faces we see in this episode and they're both relegated to very small, very missable background characters. So and it's not well, I don't know. I don't know about this guy's case, but Bobcat Goldthwait. I mean, people knew who he was by '95 for sure, so it's just interesting. But uh, in the background, we get Tiny Lister, who is uh, first of all again a tier name, uh, but better known as uh, Debo from Friday, and uh, he was also one of the big tattooed prisoner guys from uh, the Dark Knight, the uh, second Batman, second Nolan Batman movie, um, and he just kind of you know, tries to get Halei's attention after the little interaction with Benton and she kind of snaps at him. And that's pretty much where we leave it with, with Debo. We never see him again. We never follow up on him. And like, again, second most recognizable face in the whole episode. And he's in here for maybe 10 seconds.
0: But then we uh, go back over to Mark doing the embolus extraction on Mr. Weiss. uh, And Hey, we get more Morgenstern. Always a good thing. Morgan Stern's basically coaching Mark through it. And, but letting Mark do it, which is, you know, Awesome to see this ER doc do this complicated procedure. Um, you know, actually having Morganstern let him do it and instead of just trying to be like the big showy person and take it over.
1: And the other really cool thing here is um while Morganstern's coaching him, Mark sees Deb and Carter come in the room and just is like, Hey guys, come closer, you're not gonna get to see this too often
0: yeah and they're both just have like the biggest dumbest grins on their face while they're while all this is going on and you know mark yay successfully gets the successfully gets the blood clot out um and morgensner says oh yeah it's just like snake in a drain gross yeah
2: so then we jump over and check in with uh doug for his first patient of the episode uh he's dealing with uh, a young man by the name of harold who was bitten by his pet snake uh Harold is played by uh, an actor named Rashawn Hammond. Are either one of you uh, big fans of the movie Hook?
1: Yes, and I just looked up the name. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
2: So Rashawn is, <laughs> Rashawn's most famous role was that he played Thudbutt in Hook. Uh, so that name just just strikes a chord with me. I'm, I'm very, very fond of that name. Um, but so Harold has been bitten by his pet snake, who is uh, – poisonous we assume um i think he knows he is poisonous uh and um doug says well can you tell he's poisonous or or, i'm sorry he asks doug can can you tell if he's poisonous just by looking at him I, i have him in this bag right here and he's got a he's got just like a brown paper bag right next to him and he goes to um pull the snake out to show doug and snake's gone and Carol's off. Carol's off in the background, uh, calling poison control to get more information on how to treat the snake bite. And she just kind of does this dramatic turn like, "What?"
1: <laughs> my my other favorite thing is the kid's like, "Oh no, it's fine. I've had him in the in the cold on the L. He'll be asleep."
2: Yeah, like he's very casual about it, and. Clooney does a great take too where he kind of like jumps backwards on the stool like he kind of like slides back a little bit and immediately starts looking around for the snake like we all would do in that situation um, oh Clooney's,
1: Clooney's physical comedy for the rest of this episode like he's walking around with a fucking golf club looking yes. everywhere just paranoid off his ass
2: it's so good There's there's so much weird kind of slapsticky stuff going on in this episode with a variety of different storylines it's weird but I'm here for it. It's a nice change of pace.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we flip over. More fighting between Susan and Mark this episode. And it's just, yes, I understand Susan's mad at him. But it just feels like they lay it on so thick in the last, like, two or three episodes. That by now, I'm just like, okay, can we be done with this already? And Mark's like, I respect you, Susan. And Susan says, great, now try to show it once in a while. Yeesh. So just like, let's let's all be friends again, kids. Let's chill the fuck out. We've all made
0: mistakes. Let's move forward. Why can't we, we be, friends? be friends? Anyway, uh, after that we go over to, uh, well, we stay with Mark and he gets his big patient for the episode and the one that hits you right in the feels for this one and definitely had an emotional impact on me. This one it definitely, kind of, kind of hit home. Uh, for me, uh,
2: patient's name is Grace Holston, uh, and who Daniel, who is our actress here? Uh, it's an actress by the name of Linda Kelsey, who didn't really strike a. Co- I mean, granted, her physical appearance here is probably, I'm assuming, a lot different from her normal appearance, even at the time. Um, but she's one that I feel like I need more context for from some of the people in our audience who maybe are a little older than us, because her big thing that she's known for according to imdb is a show called lou grant from that aired from between 1977 and 1982 and she was on the show uh the whole time and she during that time she was nominated for three golden globes so i feel like this must have been at least a semi significant show but even even older shows that were before my time i feel like i have at least heard of them and this is a show that i have no frame of reference for whatsoever so i would love to know like from somebody a little bit older than us like what was this show about was she good on it like what was the the premise like i just would love more kind of information on it from somebody who watched um because it seems like it was she at least she was good in it maybe the show wasn't i don't know i just want to know more about it basically
0: but yeah she's a terminal cancer patient uh she's been brought over from hospice because the pain meds that they're giving her at hospice just aren't doing it anymore um so she's in pretty pretty agonizing pain. She has stage four cancer and that's metastasized, uh, pretty much everywhere where you, where it would hurt the most, it seems like, and bones and spine and pretty much everywhere that would, they don't want cancer to be in. Um, like, especially this late in the game for her, you know, and she's already starting to plead with Mark, you know, just, just let me die. Just, you know, I'm in so much pain, please just let me die. And, Mark in the beginning here, sort of like, sort of like, not quite smiles and nods, but just like, sort of like, just brushes that whole statement off, and just sort of, just sort of walks away from her. You know, puts in some orders for some different types of pain meds. I think uh, he says he wants to add add a little bit of fentanyl to her morphine because any more morphine might kill her. She's like, oh yeah, no, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> um,
1: Anything.
0: Yeah, but he just sort of just. Does the orders and just sort of walks away from her without necessarily acknowledging the state the the pleas for help.
1: And then we find animal control is looking for the snake. Doug says that they're look because of the breed that it is that they think it will go up high and warm because it's a tree snake. And right as he says this, I don't know if it's an animal control guy or a maintenance guy, but he's working on something in the ceiling and this tube drops down and hits Doug in the face. And I think Doug thinks it's the snake for a second just by the way he jerks and like, bah! like it's a really quiet noise that he makes, but he he does this tiny jerk and twist to like get out of its way. And it's clear that he he definitely thinks it's the snake. It's a good bit of physical comedy by Clooney in that moment. And then we go over to poor Car- Carol. I don't know why I just called her Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go over to poor Carol who is so excited to share some really good news with the team, and this is how it's received. Animal control guy thinks it's kind of a tree snake. He thinks it will crawl up someplace high where it's warm.
0: <laughs> Terrific, I'll spend the rest of the day on my hands. And hey,
3: hands. Lydia, Doug, come over here. Okay, okay, it took about six months and a couple thousand requisition forms, but I finally did it. Guess what's under the sheet? Come on, guys, guess. We don't want to guess. Oh, come on, please. <laughs> new day bed for the lounge? Nope.
2: New vending machines?
3: Nope. Ta-da! New crash carts. Hey, I wow. don't get
2: that anymore. those. Right.
3: Well, cardiology wanted them, but I was reluctant. Dr. Benton, you got an abdominal opening curtain three, and
0: you got a gunshot victim coming
2: in.
3: Now, no rating off the new crash carts, OK? Everything on these carts stays on the carts.
2: Thank you. Okay, two things about that. Number one, we do get to hear uh, uh, Clooney's little like gasp, yelp—I don't know what you'd call it—and uh, then we also get to hear, a, Sound. yeah, we also get to hear a very faint in the background, like "sorry, Doug," when that happens. <laughs> yeah. And it just—I I enjoy that. Um, and then uh, I'll let you guys talk about this thing first. But there's a, a character that comes in at the very end of that interaction that I wanted to highlight real quick that I forgot to put in the notes. So go ahead and go over what you wanted to
0: yeah um honestly i just put it in there because my favorite part of that whole thing is like ooh, maybe we won't get shocked anymore
2: yeah (laughs) like
0: (laughs) that's how old the equipment is that they're working with is that you know it's like okay we'll restart someone's heart and we might get a little shocked ourselves you know
1: it'll be fine Mm. and and, and um cardiology's interest in obtaining these carts will be very important for a little bit later in the episode yes
2: but props to carol for making it happen so that voice that we hear towards the end, uh, which I think he's giving uh, patient assignments to Green, I think. Um, yeah. But uh, he is another desk clerk that we've, we just randomly get introduced to. Um, we've never seen him before. Um, and I was kind of, like, confused by him at first. I was like, is this, is this somebody we need to know about? Or is this... And kind of is the answer. Um, the character's name is Rolando. Uh, and he is a desk clerk. He will appear in five episodes, uh, and the actor's name who plays him is uh, Rolando, also, uh, Molina, and he's got uh, over 113 credits to his name, so he's very prolific, Um, mostly bit parts and stuff. He's not, like, done anything super, super big uh, in the time since, but so, like, he's kind of this, like, you know, I felt like I had a pretty good grip on who all of the desk clerks were going to be throughout the course of the show, and this one was one that snuck up on me. I was like... I do not remember Rolando at all, but he's he's around for more than a few episodes. So I felt like he's or, or he's around for more than one episode. I should say. Uh, so he's I felt like he's worth mentioning.
1: Cool. I yeah, didn't I even notice.
2: The, I was wondering. I was wondering who the hell that was.
1: And then we get more cranky. Benton Deb is checking and just being like, "Hey, I didn't have time to finish my presentation. Can I have thirty minutes just to wrap some things up?" Like. You know, the presentations this afternoon. I really need to get this done. I've been doing all the work for you. Like, I haven't had time to do this. And the whole time she's, like, calling Benton, sir. And Benton's like, don't call me sir, Miss Chen. And she's like, okay, sir. I mean, doctor. Yes, Yes, Benton. And um, Benton then goes to Carter and is like, well, do you need more time? Carter's like, no. I finished. I'm good. And in the moment he's like, ha-ha, I got Deb. I'm better.
2: He's king shit. Right. Yeah. Teacher's
0: pet, exactly. Cocky little asshole. Um, for now, at least.
1: And then um, we go back to Halle and Benton, and she's just giving him shit about the shit he piled him on her earlier. This is where her what was it? Malicious compliance. Yes. Starts where she's like, oh well, you know, if if you don't feel comfortable well, I don't feel comfortable writing your orders down because you're the doctor and you know more. So can you please (laughs) write your orders down and sign off on them and then I'll do them? And this is how this starts. It's just her saying, no, I need your written orders. I'm not going to take them verbally. I need them written. This plays a very important thing in a few scenes from now. But right here she's just saying, no, you're the doctor and you know better. So can you write down your orders for me? I need it in writing. I'm dumb.
0: <laughs> uh, and then, after that, we pivot back over to uh, Grace and Mark, and the the agony, the the pain level is definitely ratcheted up with Grace, and she is selling it very, very hard. Um, Mark just doesn't really know or necessarily like think there might even is a way a best solution you know to eliminate her pain you know because morphine yeah because the morphine's not doing it and you know the fentanyl's helping she says helping a little bit but she's still in a lot of pain um you know he's offered a couple of surgical solutions but you know she's gonna die soon she doesn't want to like have someone cut into her spine just to give her pain relief you know that seems pretty invasive and pretty traumatic for uh for her for where she's at in her illness um so yeah mark is just sort of left again just sort of like unknowing and just sort of can then a little bit confused and just is really just doesn't know what to do here um but then morgan's comes in to give mark a little little pep talk don't even ask Mark, keep me company.
3: Good call on that pulmonary embolism. Oncology saw him, found a small polyp. Probably he hadn't tossed a clot. Who knows how far that thing would have gone before rearing its ugly little head. What's all this?
0: Uh, some kind of tree snake got loose. Really? Yeah.
3: I was really impressed this morning about your concern for the medical students, making sure that they were involved and learning. You're a fine teacher, Mark. Thanks. You given any thought as to what you're going to do next year? Start repaying med school loans? Sent out a few letters, but haven't really started. I'd like you to give some thought to joining the staff here. As an attending? Of course, you won't make as much money as the cowboys at the private hospitals. But there are other rewards, ephemeral as they may be. (laughs) Well, think about it anyway.
2: No, no,
0: I'd be honored, really.
3: Ah, here's my bus. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You earned it.
0: Way to just make
2: major life decisions without consulting your wife, Mark.
1: Gosh. I mean, he's pretty much single at this point already. I was going to say, I'm,
2: I'm sure this will have devastating effects to his already very stable union.
1: Also, this was something I noticed in the background, and I don't know what this sign is marketing or, like, promoting, but it says keep in touch with yourself.
2: I, if I had to venture a guess, I would say probably uh, breast tissue checks for women and testicular checks for men.
1: Something like that. But it's just, like, it was so distracting in this clip that I just couldn't, like, I was just, like, staring (laughs) at it, trying to figure out, okay, what what are they trying to get people to take care of here? What are we advertising? What's going on? I think it's great. The way morgan stern approaches mark about this and he's like yeah no you've been kicking ass like you clearly deserve it here's why
0: yeah no it's just awesome that mark is actually like being recognized for all the hard work and all the extra stuff that he does and all of the and kind of validating his choice to damage his marriage for <laughs> <laughs> for work like oh all this stuff that's been toxic to your marriage here, let's make it worse and give you rewards for
2: it. So we got a hard pivot coming up. Uh, We've got our next patient, uh, gunshot wound on a 12-year-old male child uh, who has, unfortunately, a very funny name. Uh, His, which I guess is probably a street name now that I'm thinking about it, but Yummy Jackson is the character's name, and I have a very hard time saying that with a straight face. Uh, But... (laughs) Which is the, the, so many good so many good names this uh this time around. We're real heavy on the, the good names, yeah. And this is this is his character name. I couldn't find they, they don't even credit this this child actor in the credits, so I don't even know what his actor's name is, but um he's part of a drug deal gone bad. Uh they found a find a gun and a knife on him, or I guess the paramedics find a gun and a knife on him when they find him. And Carter is just like this is where this is the type of stuff where Carter is the most out of his element. Like Anytime Carter is presented with the realities of the environment he finds himself in, he seems, like, shell-shocked. Like, he just seems completely out of his depth.
1: So, we go back to poor Grace. She's still in absolute agony. Like, the morphine's barely done anything for her. Mark can't safely up her dosage any higher. He's been very clear about this to everyone who will listen. Like, he's in a pickle backing himself into a corner here. And I do love a little bit of black humor that comes up where he's like, you know, I can't do this, but is there anything else I can do for you? And she's like, well, you could shoot me. And he goes, well, I didn't bring my gun to work today. I'm sorry. Is there anything else? And <laughs> um, they're talking, he's talking to the, he's talking to Grace about her other options. And he's like, well, you know, you can go back to hospice, but you'd need to come back back here for your higher doses of morphine like we can't authorize them to give you anything higher either
0: yeah otherwise we can just admit you and you know be less comfortable but you'll have drugs yeah
1: and she just takes his hand and says you know can you give me a little bit of time to decide and he says yep that's fair leaves her to her absolute agony
0: and then keeping on the downer notes uh we have a just a we cut to just a random kid in a bear's hat and a bear's coat looking around for something and he's completely silent and doesn't really like ask anyone for anything he's just moving around uh has a super huge baggy coat on and oh hi bob uh <laughs> bob sees him as like hey can i help you like hey you know you can't be back here you know and it's like hey could we could you uh could you please go to the waiting room you know just trying to you know shoo him out of the patient area and oh he uh he pulls a gun on her and everyone else just completely still stone face and not saying a word just this is a really like little kid too like no more than like 10 11 12 years old like the gun is like the, almost the size of his head it looks like um yeah and he's just sort of like going from room to room and turns out we're he, he finds the room with the kid from the gunshot wound earlier and you know gets them all the back gets them all the back away from the kid and um takes a look at him and bet and says you know you're too late he's already dead and the kid, still stone-faced still not saying anything just points the gun at everyone again and just backs out super coldly and just runs away and this is when Carter says it's madness <laughs> like most old white guys Shel- shelter yeah sheltered little white boy
2: in the big city now says so it's madness that kid is like extra intense too yeah that's what i said
0: stone fucking cold expressionless nothing for sure like the most emotion he shows is running
1: and then we revisit Deb and Carter discussing their presentation. Deb is worried that she picked too easy of a topic. Like, she's like, oh, God, you know, I, I swung I swung low, and it's going to be stupid, and, you know, it's not going to be good enough. And then the guy, they walk in, and the guy before them is just taking forever, but, you know, seems pretty confident in what he's talking about.
0: But he's boring the fuck out of everyone, yeah, though. Yeah,
1: Benton looks so bored, and he goes, all right, Carter, you're next. Carter really bores the hell out of everyone. He brings, like, two x-rays, gives a 30-second presentation, (laughs) can't get the x-ray machine to stay straight, and... Puts the
2: x-ray on backwards.
1: Yep. He's like, all right, I'm done. That's it. That's all I got. Peace out. Peace out. Like, just super, like, bare minimum for what he needed to do. And Benton's like, is that it? Carter's like, yep, I'm done.
0: All right. And then we move right into uh Ms. Chen's presentation which she has slides <laughs> she had she brought fucking bound books for everyone to outline her presentation and just so starts passing them out and Benton's like the fuck and Carter's like what the fuck is going on here like immediately embarrassed and just looks completely like mortified especially when uh Deb asked him to like, like, "Hey, can you get the can you get the slides, please?" Like,
2: <laughs> she's got her her Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park era tech, uh, like three D model demo thing. Like, I don't even know what you would call it, but like, very very cutting edge it for nineteen ninety five.
0: It looks, I would say, for nineteen ninety five, it looks pretty, pretty up there for what a medical student at a shitty urban hospital. Would have access to. So, hey, props her for going the extra mile showing up Carter. You know, he deserves it every now and then. And
2: also to the, the yeah. noticeable difference in Benton's body language, too, when she starts like Benton immediately perks up and like starts really intently listening to what she's saying. And I like that just translates so perfectly into Carter's just dismay at the whole thing. Like Carter is just mortified.
1: Carter looks like he wants to shrink into a pile of sludge and wiggle out of the doorframe.
2: I not so much the like uh like professional jealousy he's dealing with here, but just the uh both quality and like reception to his work I identified very hard with Carter in this sequence because I, there was a lot of school projects for me where I was like, Yeah, I got this, this is fine and then I get there and I'm like, Oh, you have slides? Fuck. Like, ugh, I didn't do half like I have like two pictures that I drew. Like, they're not you know, like I just felt very I felt very simpatico with Carter in that moment.
1: I was the kid with the slides.
2: I was Carter. Very much so.
1: Nice. Um, And then we go over to, speaking of improperly medicated, we go over to Kathy.
2: We go over to Grace.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sorry. Fuck, I was reading my notes. She's half asleep, um, calling out for Kathy, who we find out is her little girl, who um, Grace's husband has custody of and uh, Mark's like, what the hell? Why doesn't she have her kid with her? And the aide is like, well, she entered hospice to die and life goes on. And then we go over, Grace wakes up and talks to Mark asking for more help.
0: How's her breathing?
3: Depressed but okay, she's finally out.
0: Hey, we got the balance right and she can get some sleep.
3: Who's Kathy? Her little girl.
1: Does she know she's here?
3: She lives out west somewhere with Grace's ex-husband. Seattle, I think. Grace gave up custody when she entered the hospice.
0: She lost her child?
3: She entered the hospice to die. Life goes on. Then again, sometimes it doesn't. Old hospice joke. Oh, God!
0: fentanyl's wearing off. Lie lie, lie, down. Lie, down.
1: lie down.
2: Lie down. Oh, the rest oh, are too low. Oh, I can't give her oh, any more God. morphine. Oh, I
1: can't. I can't
2: stand I, I'm I sorry. I'm,
1: stand I'm so it. sorry. It hurts so much. Don't. There's nothing else I can do. Don't. Please kill me. Please. 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 Kill. Please. 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 I think this is the hardest patient we've seen Mark have to deal with so far
0: yeah and it's definitely hard to watch just because like this is like for me this is like one of those situations like i never ever want to be anywhere remotely close to be in a situation like this like i'm much more of a quality of life believer than quantity of life for folks that if they want to make that decision for themselves
1: i i have a question yeah Do you think this is more difficult for Mark or do you think the gentleman with the failing heart from episode two or three
2: is I was going to say that that was my other pick for toughest patient for him so far
0: because that one was real close to home with what he was dealing with. I would think I would think on substance this this one harder. Yeah, I would think this one because like because the patient is actually like pleading for death
1: and legally he can't.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The other one I think was more personally relevant for him at that specific moment in time, but we've seen that, you know, Mark's, Mark's life does not exist in a vacuum. And so like that moment passed. And so like, I think that, you know, while that one might've been more personally significant in the moment, this one is like more personally damaging in the sense of like she said, like like Lizzie said, he's, he's uh, having to listen to her, literally beg to her beg him to die like she wants nothing more than to just die and he can't do anything about it you know at least with the other guy while the the hope was very small you know there was some hope that they might be able to find him a heart and might be able to you know keep him going a little bit longer and with this it's like there's no help like she's she's gone already but like we just have to suffer through this agonizing thing like it's just oh it's terrible. So on that incredibly down note we then uh shift over to also a down note but in a different way. Um paramedics bring in a 53-year-old male uh who's a hockey ref who collapsed uh during a game. Um so another potential heart This is like the third different cardiac patient uh we've had in this episode. They bring him into one of the trauma rooms, they're going to zap him uh, and they discover that their brand new shiny uh crash cart is missing and there it's been replaced with the old shitty shocked one so uh that sets up a sequence we're going to go back to a little bit later um and the the hockey team kind of follows in and they try to bunch of little kids and they just want to know if the ref's going to be okay um, most interesting thing that I found or, or that I noticed about this um, sequence is that we get another long timer introduced in this uh, sequence. Uh, the paramedic who is wheeling the gurney in uh, the uh, black eye paramedic whose character name is Dwight Zadro, which certainly I don't think he gets a two name <laughs> reference ever after, <laughs> after Camacho. I think anything's possible that he might get a name call out at some point, but I don't ever remember him getting one. Um but uh it's played by a guy named Monty Russell or Monte Russell, I think it's Monte Russell. Uh and he appears in one hundred and seventeen episodes of ER, and this is his very very first appearance, and he will be with us for the duration. He appears uh from here all the way until the series finale. Hmm. I didn't even I also didn't even know. I, notice. I noticed him when he came like, in and I was like, Oh, that guy, like he's around for a while and but what I didn't know, I was like, have I just like breezed past him and he's been with us for f- three or four episodes. But no, this is his very first appearance. Um, first of 117. So get used to seeing him.
0: Hey, good for him. And then for something completely different, uh, took, something kind of creepy, Took the words in,
1: right out of my mouth
0: in our humble opinion over here, at least in Chicago. And, yeah. At least mine and Lauren's, Uh Doug stops by Diane's office to see if her son Jake is around.
1: That's not weird <laughs> at all. Nope.
0: Uh.
2: Not at all.
1: His her like ten year old son that he's met once.
2: Yep. Things you can only do when you look like George Clooney. <laughs> and are
0: in 1995. Um, yeah. No. But he's like, oh yeah. Hope you don't mind if we shoot hoops every now and then. You know, it's like, Ugh. promise not. I promise not to pass along any misogyny with my bas with the basketball tips, which you know is oddly self aware for Doug.
1: Well, because she had made the comment when they met up last time, and she was that's like, "Oh, true. my friend hates your guts."
0: Yeah, but still, that's that still seems like an oddly self uh, self aware comment for him. You know, she uh, Diane obviously dislikes him, but let like if she hates him, why is she letting him play with her? fucking son because it's fucking
2: Clooney, and even though she hates his guts or has been told she needs to hate his guts it's still fucking Clooney. like you know Uh,
0: he's
1: charming
2: it just what this is one of those uh, this is one of those things that
0: were i'm sure one of a million other things as we even go on and a million things we've already even talked about that'll just that watching this in 2019 bugs the shit out of me a lot more
2: than i'm sure it would have
0: if it would have been 1995
2: so from there, we jump over to check in on uh, Halle, who is still on her malicious compliance tip, uh, having Benton write down all of his orders for her in very, very plain English. Like, he's not allowed to abbreviate anything. She wants everything clarified for her. She's like, I can't read this. Like, just, just being intentionally obstinate, which he deserves every bit of that. Uh, You know she says that she's not comfortable getting an IV started or doing a gastro tube by herself and that Benton is much more skilled and would be better off you know and Benton's just like he knows what she's doing and he's kind of powerless to stop it so he's just sort of like through gritted teeth I'll do it myself like just just fine
1: and then we swap back over Mark um, Mark goes to Susan his best his other other best friend to ask about grace and her options because like while mark will go to doug for a lot of things when it comes to like patient ethics he tends to usually go to susan i've noticed but he lets susan know what grace has asked of him and is is just like just how flabbergasted he is and he just goes i miss
2: you it's less it's much less endearing than that he sort of just blurts it out like it's yeah, it's it's very much like that. Like it's very blunt and very it comes out of nowhere and it's very awkward. Like there's so much awkwardness between these two in this episode. Like they start out at each other's throats yeah, and be- it just ends up being very awkward.
1: It feels real forced this episode.
2: Yeah, I have thoughts on that when we get to to their big scene towards the end and yeah.
1: Yeah. To me, here, and this might come into what you're going to talk about a little later, but it feels like this is where they really start to play the will they, won't they game with Susan and mm-hmm. Mark.
2: Feels like they're testing the water.
1: Yep, we go over to Carter and Deb. This is a very Carter and Deb episode. Like they're they're really inseparable this episode. I like it. I, I it's it's cute. Yeah, we go. They're they're stitching up a patient, talking about how their presentations went and everything. And Carter's just like, I fucked up. Oh my god and um deb's like yeah you know you didn't really seem that invested you and he was like well i really need benton to give me a good recommendation for my surgical rotation if i want to go into surgery and deb's like you want to go into surgery you didn't really seem that committed i mean all of my mom's students seem way more and then she kind of trails off and carter's like wait your mom your mom's students who's your mom What, is your mom a doctor? And she's like, yeah, she's chief of surgery at another hospital.
0: Saint something. Yeah, I I, think I didn't get
1: it, I'm sorry. But then, and like, as Carter's talking to her about this, he's grabbing some supplies from the cabinet.
0: And just freezes right there, and Lauren and I both... audibly screamed when we were watching this episode <laughs> Well,
1: no lizzie goes oh god <laughs> when lizzie made that noise all of a sudden i looked and i saw something moving by carter's face and i let out the most shameful squeal ever <laughs> like i i just watched it chapter two and i was fine but this i went ah! <laughs> like i jumped it was so bad
0: because our missing snake from earlier is in the cupboard <laughs> And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that about sums it up. Uh,
1: <laughs> just right
2: by his face.
0: Yeah, and he just jumps back a little bit and just slowly closes the door and backs away.
2: Found the snake.
1: <gasps> and
0: tells and tells Chen, and she's like, "Wait, what?"
1: Found the snake. And then that patient's just like, "What?" Like he doesn't say anything, but it's clear on his face. He's like, "Wait, what snake?" So that quickly cuts off their discussion about Carter's ambitions as a student. Um, And then, complete tonal shift. We are having a lot of those this episode. We go back, Mark is in Grace's room, signing off something on her chart, looking very, very deep in thought. And Connie comes in, says, Hey, you gotta come check out a possible MI, like we need you. And he's like, okay, I'm coming. And then he's looking at her chart and looking at her and hasn't left yet and Connie pops back in not even five seconds later he's like Dr. Green he's like yeah I'm coming he puts her chart down and leaves the room so wonder what that means
0: another tonal (laughs) shift of many one other one of many in this episode we get a heist sequence because looks looks like the new crash carts have gone missing so and who could have taken them those bastards up in cardiology of course that's who uh, so we get Carol Lydia Carter Doug Bob and Connie uh, all going up to the cardiology floor to steal steal the new ones back uh, Bob and Connie stay with the old carts as, as they get off the elevators and duck into a room uh, and the rest go to
2: liberate the new ones so good it's so good the music even is a big change like. It's-
1: it's so goofy,
2: yeah, it's very goofy.
0: I love the goofy music, don't even, and oh, no, it's good, yeah,
1: they're up on the cardiology floor, and all of a sudden they hear some doctors coming, so they all have to quick jump back, hide in a women's restroom, <laughs> and they and then, as they're in there, they hear somebody in one of the stalls just flushing, so four of them have to back into one stall and hide because, um because Bob and Connie are left with with the old cards. So it's Carol, Lydia, Carter, and Doug hiding in one bathroom stall together. And it is the best reveal ever when that stall door opens because you only see Carol's feet. (laughs) And then the door opens and you see Carol with Lydia sitting on her lap and then the two boys in the back, like half standing up on the, um, the, like, piping. And then they all just kind of sneak out out of the stall Go down the hall. They um they go and they get the the correct the good carts and they leave the shitty ones where they're supposed to be, and then they they almost get to the elevators when oh shit Sherry Dunphy is over by the elevator and Doug straightens his tie and he's like I got this.
2: <laughs> that take <laughs> of him straightening his tie is my absolute favorite thing in the episode. Like it's just,
1: uh, so good. It's just so Clooney, and so Doug goes over charms her does his little <laughs> Clooney laugh and uh, Carol is just laughing her ass off at him and he's like no you really need to come help me with a patient that I have right now could you please so he gets he gets Sherry to walk away with him they all go and call the elevator and Carol bless her heart she's really healed from their breakup at this point cause she goes and you wonder why I slept with him on the first date Lydia goes Oh, first date really no judgment, just like, oh, okay. And Carol goes, he rang the doorbell, and next thing I knew, we were on the kitchen floor. And Lydia, bless her heart, goes, kitchen floor, huh? Man, I really need to start dating again.
0: Does sound fun.
1: Lydia is the thirstiest really woman is. I have ever met. And I would love her. Like, she makes so many of these comments, and she is just owning it.
0: Obviously, uh, Mr. Boomer <laughs> Man isn't... <laughs> Isn't doing enough for... Because
1: they're not boomers yet.
0: Oh, they've always been boomers. But they're just not making shitty YouTube series about it. (laughs) Quite yet. Quite yet. Yeah. There's just, like, the flow of this episode is just really just so weird. Because now we go from that really super fun and funny whole heist sequence to... Mark is sitting with Grace, watching the snow, and Susan comes in and... You know, the kids who are in the hall are for that kid that came in with the uh, hockey guy, the hockey ref, are out there playing, and Mark and uh, Susan have this conversation. Kids are having fun.
3: Yeah, they're uh, the hockey players from my MI. Haven't been picked up yet. How do you do? He's not dead, if that's what you mean.
2: No. That's not what I meant.
3: He's going to be fine. How is she?
1: She died a couple minutes ago.
3: Respiratory failure.
1: I was listening to those kids playing. And watching the snow
3: fall. You if you stand
2: right here, just, just right over here, you can see the L from here. Faces looking out the windows into the darkness.
3: Life goes on, Mark. Do you want to get something to eat? I can't. Uh, Jennifer and Rachel are in town. Another time, maybe. Susan. Mm -hmm. Thanks. See you tomorrow.
1: Mark is just so broken and weird here. Like, it's like he
2: just sold his soul to the devil. So, what do you think, like, because they never, you know, spell it out for you. Do we think that he gave her what she wanted?
1: Yeah.
0: I would say so. I would say that would fitting maybe not necessarily with this stage
2: of Mark's character but like later on that's totally a thing that he would do oh yeah yeah season 6-7 Mark totally but season 1 Mark I don't know like I feel like there's still some ambiguity there but I think for, for the record I, I agree with both of you I think he did too but I feel like that informs his demeanor here like I, I think that's a decision that season 6 or 7 Mark would have made much easier than season 1 Mark you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he would not have been so affected yeah. by it down the road.
0: But yeah, like you're right. It's just it's just a weird scene for the two of them to share specifically. I don't know, just because maybe just because of the friction that they've had this entire episode. But having Mark and Susan have that conversation also just seems really weird. I don't know. That's a, that's all I can. That's the only way I can really describe it is weird.
2: Yeah, it's it is weird uh, for sure. And I, like I said earlier, like this the the dynamic between Mark and Susan in this episode is really weird like it feels like they went through the whole like will they won't they thing in one episode you know like they they compress down what would normally yeah. be seasons worth of development into one episode they start out the episode where they have this like fiery back and forth you know thing and then Mark makes a weird like blurts out a thing that he's never said before that is obviously taken very strangely between them. Like it, it it makes it awkward. And then we get this scene here where like on a different show and in a different environment, I'm pretty sure they would have kissed at the end of this and yeah. they don't. And it just kind of gets left there. And like, I feel like if they were ever going to go down the Mark and Susan road, that this was the time because I don't think they ever get close they don't think they ever get as close to going down that road as they do in this episode I could be wrong we'll see as we go I forward, think when but,
1: I think when Susan's leaving yeah
2: I mean it, it. it's all bets are off when she's leaving and I, I feel like it's only because she's leaving that they go down that road you know what I mean like I feel like if if I'm just Susan saying, they, yeah they I just feel like if Susan was staying if she was not leaving when she leaves I don't think they would have gone back to that well because it's so um strangely received here. Like it's such a odd pairing here that I could see why they backed off of it because it was so weird. And so like, Ooh, cause to this point we've been sort of conditioned that like these, this is going to be the Ross and Rachel dynamic a little bit. Like they're going to like kind of gravitate and go back and forth. And it, I don't know. I don't know why they felt the need to like go through all the various stages of it in this one episode and then decide at the end like nope, not going to do that.
1: Yeah. It just feels like it's the wrong episode for it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's the whole thing is weird. The whole thing is weird.
1: But now for something that's oh so right. Here's Benton and Carol talking about Halle and Carol putting Benton in his place. <laughs>
2: I'm having problems with LA. So I
3: heard.
2: I'd like you to reschedule her so that we don't have to work together anymore.
3: From what I hear, you're the one who needs to be rescheduled.
2: So, what does that mean? You won't do it?
3: No, I won't. The nursing schedule is my prerogative.
2: Even if that situation is endangering patient care?
3: You work every day and every third night. Halei's got four kids to support. When is she supposed to work?
2: The woman refuses to follow my instructions.
3: Why should she? You're still in training. Remember, she already graduated. Oh, come on,
2: Carol. Don't give me that. I mean, we are not equals. Look,
3: she may not know how to cross clamp an aorta, but Haley has been working in emergency medicine for 20 years, and if you would ever hop off that pedestal you put yourself on, you might see that the nurses make this place work. Not you.
0: Boot. Fucking drag him, Carol. Mm. I love it. I love it so much. Ugh. Anytime, anytime, someone's being cocky and gets taken down a peg. It's just always beautiful to see, especially
2: Benton. Like Benton, yeah, Benton needs to get you know told about himself every once in a while. And the other, so the other very very minor thing here, but also too at the beginning of that clip, you know, Bob is cursing at the kids that are running through and everything, and it just reminded me that like how far we have fallen in just a couple of episodes with Bob. Like I see, we've gone back to completely forgetting that Bob is interesting. Like we've gone back to just Bob is just, just a background character. Don't think twice about her. She's just window dressing. And it's so sad because we, there's so much potential there and they're just like not interested in it.
0: Yeah. There could have been a really good story there with her, like learning English more and with, you know, Carter trying to help her with her boards and, I thought think that would have been a really nice little sweet side story, but Nope. It's not to be when does she when
2: is she when does she get Early Bob? Season two is what I've read. Yeah, so oh, okay. she's gonna be with us for a okay. little while longer. Sporadically, you know, it's not like she's gonna be in every single episode, but yeah. she will be around in various forms until early season two, and then she just sort of fades away.
0: Alright, well we will mourn the loss of her when the time comes. Uh, but for now, as Mark previously mentioned Jennifer is in town, and uh, next clip I have is about two minutes long. So, their whole conversation, them talking about Mark's uh, you know, job opportunity that he accepted without consulting anyone, um, no big deal, but himself. So, yeah, no big deal. So, let's just give that a listen.
2: I smell food.
3: I'm actually cooking.
2: You mean, like, from scratch and everything?
3: Yeah, who knows? It might become an annual tradition.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I remember you cooking something last summer. I think it was meatloaf, maybe. it definitely, it was, it's definitely brown.
3: <laughs> Semi-annual, then.
1: When did you get home?
3: Seven or so. Traffic was awful. Where's Rach? <sighs> She's in the bathtub. God, what a week. I'm exhausted. How was your day?
1: Great and awful.
3: Tell me great. I'm too tired for awful.
0: Morgenstern offered me a job as attending physician next year.
3: What'd you say? I said yes. Without discussing it with me first?
1: An attending. I figured I'd be spending nights and weekends at some community hospital in Winnetka. Is this a problem?
3: What, can you tell Morgan, Stern you need more time to think about it? I don't
0: need to think about it. This is a great opportunity.
3: Well, I'm not going to know until March if Judge Franklin needs me to clerk for him again next year.
0: Cool. You, Whoa, well,
3: you're considering spending another year in Milwaukee? If he wants me to, yes. But I assume Exactly. You assume things would be the way you want them to be. For the last six months,
1: things have not been exactly the way that I want them...
3: But living by myself, without my wife, without my daughter. My wife? My daughter? Mark, it's only been six months. What about the last six years, huh? What about medical school and rotations and residency? Who was a paralegal so we could put food on the table? Who was in night school for years trying to finish college? Was that you? No, that was me. So now I want it to be about me for
0: a change, not you.
2: These two are fucking doomed.
0: Yeah. But we've known that.
2: It's not great. But we haven't had it shoved in our face like this in a while. Like she's been gone, you know, just only she, it's easy to forget about her. Like I was literally like, I was like, Oh, Jennifer's alive. Like she, like <laughs> she's just, you know, last time we saw her, they were, you know, they were doing it the whole episode. So like, this has been a long time since we've seen uh, the uglier side of Jen and Mark. And this is, this is, I think probably one of the more telling examples of why they are doomed. But for the record, I'm fully on her side. Oh, she's 100% one. right. Like, Even though I'm not a huge fan of her as a character, she's 100% right in this situation.
1: I don't know. I just, it. I I so zone out when the two of them are talking because their clear lack of communication makes me so angry that I just can't do it. (laughs) Like, you're both adults. Fucking talk like adults. Don't get into a fucking hissy fit. (laughs) Yeah. Every time one of you says something the other one doesn't like. Yeah, it's like. Have a rational conversation and maybe stuff like that. It's like going back
2: and watching old sitcom episodes and being like all of this could be solved with a cell phone and it's these people like if they would just talk to each other, they would be fine, but they don't talk to each other.
1: And not yell at each other. Yeah.
2: It's
0: like if you got offered like a job in Portland or something, Lauren, like you wouldn't just accept that without talking to me. You know? Exactly. Like a logical human being.
1: First off, why the fuck would I accept a job in Portland? I don't
0: know. Maybe they offer you, like, $2 million to run an accounting firm or something like that. Who knows?
1: I appreciate your confidence. I don't
0: know. You're good at your job.
1: Thanks. I see. I think so. So then, Peter's no good, very bad day ends with him getting home to Jackie's place. He's gone because Miss Jeannie Boulet has been watching his mommy. Miss Mama Benton. And he's back later than expected. And Jeannie's having none of that. She's like, nope, if you say you're going to be back by this time, you need to be back by this time because I work early tomorrow and my time's valuable and you need to fucking wise up. Like, (laughs) I'm an employee, you need to treat me with respect. Like, you can't just make me sit here and wait. And then she goes on to give him the hard truth about just how bad his mom really
2: is. Like...
1: Um, she's
2: apparently... She's got bruising, like, bruising on sides yeah, of the body. Yeah, she's got bruising
1: all on her left side. She's incontinent. She's, like... Jeannie says, you know, she she fakes mobility well, but and she hides her immobility, but she's got bruising all on her left side from bumping into things. She's like, and you didn't tell me about the incontinence. Peter goes... Oh, it's only a sometime thing. And Jeannie's like, it wasn't today. So, like, she's very clearly giving Peter a straightforward outsider's perspective on his mother's condition. Because, like, he's not going to listen if Jackie or Walt say it. Because, like, it's Jackie and Walt. They're distressed because they had to take care of her. Jeannie is a medical professional and is going to tell him. And he might listen to her more because he's an asshole like that. So... There's that. And she goes, oh, and she just couldn't stop talking about her Petey. You must be the baby of the family. (laughs) And he's like, yes, I'm the youngest.
2: (laughs) To the shock of absolutely no one, Benton has a complex.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, Whatever, Benton, get over it. There's nothing wrong with being the
0: youngest. I'm the youngest. (sighs) Me too. Yeah, whatever. You can be the baby of the family.
1: I'm excited to see where their working relationship goes and what we have in store for Miss Jeannie Boulay
0: cuz I can't remember if
2: they oh, get together yes, at all. Oh, yes. Yeah. We we got we got stuff to get into with these two. <laughs> okay. 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 I look forward to that.
0: Um overall, I mean, this episode was another weird one, I think, just because of like the constantly shifting. Like there was so much funny stuff and then there was so much like really depressing shit. Like, I don't know. I've, I think it's
2: it was yeah, I balance. think it's the only one that we've had... Because we've had a couple like this so far that have tried to balance the um, the comedy with the drama thing. And it it's just never really clicked to this point. And I feel like this one gets the closest to clicking. Um, there's still still parts that that's, feel clunky. Like There's still parts where I'm like, eh, it's a little... Eh, kind of a harsh transition. But I feel like... And I feel like it's only because of the quality of the comedy in this one like this is I would say this is the funniest episode we've had so far like this is the like oh definitely the, because when they've done the funny stuff in the past you know there's been little moments here and there you know tag plucking the turkey and stuff in the background but they would always mm-hmm. contrast it with drama not to say that you know a woman uh, you know literally begging to die in this episode isn't dramatic but I feel like the comedy uh, did a better job of uh, breaking through than the drama did in this one. So it, when you finish this episode, you're not left going, Oh God, we just watched Mark kill a woman. You go, Oh, that was a funny episode. Like they got, you know, they got, we got some laughs out of that, you know, like, and I feel like that's kind of the overarching tone here is that the, the comedy worked better here than it ever has in any of the previous episodes we've seen so far. So it's for me, it's like a solid, yeah. like it's a solid B minus episode. Like it's, it, it, the parts it does well, it does very well. And then the other stuff is kind of yeah. mixed bag. Yeah, I'd say 7.58 or so out of 10 mm-hmm. for me.
1: It was fine. It was, I'd probably give it a 7.
0: Yeah, uh, for whatever it's worth, it's one of the lower rated ones on IMDb. Just as I'm going through and doing research for the show, I have all the IMDb ones. And I think this one was like a 7.9 and they've, they fluctuate but between like the high sevens and the low yeah the high sevens and the high eights so for viewer ratings so um that should just about wrap up our episode for today thank you all very much for listening you can find us on twitter uh we are at set the tone er yeah uh, we are also on facebook at facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast and we are at setting the tone podcast on instagram you can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. You can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including a special season recap episode coming up here quicker than we'd probably like to think. Um, and also a special a special monthly bonus show where we talk about whatever's going on for us in the at that moment, you know, with pop culture, movies we've seen, video games we're playing, our thoughts on current events, different stuff like that. Um, and coming soon, we're not... 100% sure when, but coming soon we should have some uh movie commentaries coming out for you, starting probably one every 2 to 3 months or so until it's unlocked on the Patreon. Um but we have decided we are going to be selling those a la carte as well. So for the, so we can get those into your hands uh before they're unlocked on Patreon and of course once they're unlocked on Patreon all of the ones that we have recorded will be available for free. Or at your patreon pledge tier of five dollars so um so stay tuned for more details on that uh our theme music is provided by andrew edwards of blue police box music and daniel where can folks find
2: you at uh they can find me on instagram at dan.u that is y-o-u dot e-l you can also find me on my other podcast the popular court which i host which i host with my co-host uh jake terrell we do a different uh, pop culture topic each week and put it through a little mock trial. Uh, one of the more recent episodes, by the time you're hearing this, uh, we'll have uh, done another one of our music episodes. Lizzie was kind enough to do a music episode with us a while back on new metal, uh, and we're doing our next one in that series. Yeah! Doing our next one in that series on um, athletes who decide to dip their toe into the music world. So. Uh, your football stars your basketball stars your tennis players your golfers who decide to take up a music career uh, we got 10 of the best worst and weirdest on that one so we're excited about that one
0: and lauren and i were also on a recent episode too where we sort of gave our thoughts on the
2: some some of our favorite things of
0: 2019
1: case notes of 2019 is the episode yes.
0: aha yes
1: i listened to it today It's sad how much fun I had re-listening to it. We just had so much fun recording
0: it that I was just like, I need to relive this. It's a good time, so definitely give that a listen. Uh, Lauren, where can folks find you at?
1: Folks can find me at my personal Twitter at lobob92345. And I also want to give a shout-out to those of you who have gone ahead and rated and reviewed us on Apple iTunes. Even if you're listening to us on another platform, Apple iTunes is still one of the best ways for us to get out there and noticed. So we really appreciate you taking the time to give us a rating and review
0: awesome uh you can find me you can find me on my personal twitter which is at random gamer as jm3r and thanks again everyone for listening uh please join us again next week for episode 16 and have a great week